Hello everyone, my name is Pablo Caroga. I'm your host, and this is Devotion Freeze, presented by Field Talk, the show where we explore the story behind legends in the making and discover actionable knowledge we can all leverage in our daily life. Performance sports, nutrition, meditation, innovation, creativity, heart intelligence, the evolution of technology, and discovery of flow state are just a few of the topics we love exploring here at Devotion Freeze. And I can't tell you guys how much I am so happy to be back laying down some more podcasts. It's been quite a while. I've been skipping weekends here and there. It's been insane, insane 2018. You know, as soon as it hit January 1st, I hit the ground running and I haven't stopped since then. I got a lot of amazing new news for you guys that we're going to be releasing very, very, very soon both in my private life and in business it's all going to go public so i can't wait to share everything with you guys um but for this weekend we wrapped an awesome conversation with nate dunn he's from sacramento california and um i can't wait you guys to for you guys to meet him it it was an exciting conversation because we got to talk about all things cycling all things data and especially and more importantly his approach to the data and science of performance sports. Nate actually bought his first heart monitor as a student in high school. (laughs) I don't know what you guys were doing when you were in high school, but I was, you know, probably chasing girls and trying to score um, at the soccer field and and go to the gym. Um, But in, in any of that experience, I didn't really have any technology. Um, so it was totally interesting to, to discover how um, Nate, you know, was engaging with technology at such a young, young age. And what's really, really, truly exciting is he has been able to really um, take note of the growth of technology. We all know Moore's Law. So exponential growth um, powered by Moore's Law and technology has been something that is just opening up um, the, the development of how all the tools that we're able to use, the different data that we're able to capture, and the ways that we're able to analyze this data. So Nate's lifelong passion um, has also been correlated with teaching because he was able to also be a high school uh, teacher. Um, and that has become one of his greatest experiences for his life. Nate strongly feels that data and science can be impactful tools for progress, but they pale in comparison to the knowledge that a coach is rooting for you and investing in your success. Um, and it, it, was, it was really his early, early experiences in the classroom that shaped much of who Nate is as a coach today. So with a background in education and a love for data, Nate has started his cycling coach company called Data Driven Athlete. And he's been going at it since 2010. A platform that is based on these three next principles. The first one, an understanding of exercise science empowers a coach to make better training decisions. The second one, athletes get better when they use data to inform training decisions on a daily, monthly, and yearly basis. And the third one, a coaching relationship built on trust is more impactful than the perfect training plan. We are always humans first and athletes second. It's this type of philosophy that I found just by quickly scanning his website. And that's why I want to reach out to Nate and speak to him today. We have an awesome conversation coming up. Guys, stay tuned, kick back, and enjoy. All right? Definitely appreciate you uh, going into our, our questionnaire. So um, <laughs> I thought it was really funny on how you answered the first question, which is, what is your origin story? <laughs> and I'm, I'm going to read it because I think it's really funny, and I think our audience is going to laugh. So it says, um, and I quote, I'm lucky enough to belong to a species of primates that through millions of years of evolution have developed the ability to share music, art, and sport, all while making advancements in medical care that have enabled me 
live longer and enjoy a vitality of life that would have been impossible at any other point in human history. It's an amazing time to be alive. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Nate, I, I fully agree with this man, a hundred percent. It's it's you know I love the your, your your perspective. So, tell me a little bit about yourself uh, before we go into what data driven athlete um, is. Yeah, so I um, <clears throat> I have a, a coaching company, data driven athlete, and uh, work work with cyclists. I live in Sacramento, California. Um, have two awesome young children, a daughter who's five and my son who's two, and then uh, my wife um, who we've been um, got married young in college, and um, when I was doing my we we're both doing our undergraduate degrees, and then um, we've been married for the last last thirteen years. So yeah, we have a um, a fun time. It's it's a, California is a great place. Sacramento is a is a an amazing place uh, in terms of cycling community. Lots of different um, great rides, uh, a large competitive community as well. So lots of different events spanning, you know, really anything you'd want to do from a gravel grinder to, you know, competitive road racing, criterium racing, all that, all that kind of stuff. So it's a fun, um, it's, it's a fun place to, to, um, you know, to be involved in endurance sport in the outdoors. And uh, yeah, we're, we're happy to, happy to be here. Very cool. What is the uh, topography like in Sacramento? I've actually never been around there, so. Yeah, Sacramento proper is um, is pretty much is pretty much flat. Um, within you know, kind of you know thirty to forty minutes of, of a bike ride, you can get into the foothills, which are the foothills to the Lake Tahoe region and the Sierra Nevada mountain range. So, um, within you know really really quickly, you can get a, a, a huge variety of rides. Um, you know, all from kind of the urban area of Sacramento. And then, of course, you know, you're within an uh, hour and 45 minutes, two hours or so of the San Francisco region as well, which has, you know, some really interesting unique type riding and, and, uh, and racing opportunities and stuff. So, Very cool. You come from a, a cycling uh, pedigree or is cycling something that you've discovered on your own? Yeah, that's a good question. It's something I picked up later in life. So I have always been involved in sport um, from from a really young age. Basketball was kind of the primary sport that I was involved in. Um, and um, after getting my undergraduate degree, I um, I worked as five years as a, um, a high school PE teacher, health and PE teacher, and also coached basketball. And um, but shortly after graduating from college, I am um, you know once you kind of uh, I guess, exit that team sport environment, it can be really difficult to, what I found, it can be really difficult to continue to stay in shape and kind of meet your, you know, fitness slash body, body weight um, goals. So that's when I had some friends that, that were cycling at the time and they really encouraged me to kind of get into it. I, I did one ride. I got completely smashed on the ride, but it was um, such a unique experience that I went home that day. I bought a bike, a used bike online. Um, started riding, did, did my first race. And then that further kind of expanded my mind beyond anything I'd ever experienced before. It was um, just such an incredible, you know, exciting, thrilling, physically and mentally demanding kind of experience. And then from there, cycling just started kind of um, taking a bigger and bigger role in my life from eventually to where I um, started my own coaching company um, while I was still teaching and then decided to go to graduate school to kind of, um, you know, push my knowledge in, in the sport and kind of uh, coaching vein of exercise physiology and then resigned from my teaching job and then started, um, started coaching full time and, and kind of investing all my time in, in growing, growing our business. <laughs> nice, man. I love that story. Um, it, it, I think it aligns perfectly with uh, the idea of being devotion and allowing devotion to something uh, freeing you, right? And I think you found that. So tell us a little bit about your experience with um, going post-grad and into a very focused, uh, you know, subject. Yeah, so I studied exercise science in my undergraduate degree. So I got a degree in exercise science and and then also education. Um, I got a teaching credential in, in education. So even though I had always been interested in exercise science, um, it really didn't, I would say, really, really catch hold of me until I began to to ride a bike and then race a bike. And I think the reason for that is because cycling is so quantifiable, it provides this link to exercise science and to research in exercise science 
that is um, really, really exciting to be a part of. It, it, it makes exercise science, um, it kind of takes it out of the abstract realm where I think it exists sometimes if you're participating in other types of team sports um, and it makes it really, really practical. So, you know, going out, you know, going and, and getting my graduate degree, um, I would say is really kind of where my love of exercise science and, and um, I'd say where I began to develop the skill set to pursue knowledge um, in, in the research vein. So to be much more comfortable, um, you know, going after studies and kind of picking apart studies and, um, and being kind of that uh, viewing exercise science research in a, in a primary lens, as opposed to what the undergraduate experience often is, is, you know, through textbooks and through, you know, you know filtered down and kind of condensed down a little bit. So for me, that my graduate experience was really about, um, opening up a new way of being able to view knowledge and view research. And that's a really exciting place to be. And um, because instead of primarily reading books and whatnot, you're able to connect with different researchers, different journals, and kind of consume, um, you know, cutting edge exercise research in a way that I certainly wouldn't have had the skill set to do, um, you know, after, after finishing my, uh, my undergraduate degree. Very cool. Can you give us an example of uh, one of your experiments or use cases, you know, with real people in real time? Yeah, so I did, um, I did my thesis research on the taper um, and, and science has always been in an applied sense. So the world of exercise science, you know, you could say there's a lot of different branches to it, but, um, you know, some of the primary branches you could say are, um, you know, research in the lab, um, you know, trying to examine different types of, uh, um, you know, physiological principles or, you know, whatever, whatever you want to look at in kind of the whole broader exercise vein. And then you have more applied exercise science. And that's where I would kind of place myself where we say, we're interested in the, in kind of the mechanisms of exercise science, but ultimately we want to know kind of the end result and how we might be able to apply those findings um, to athletes working in the real world. So that's always been my interest. And so when I, um, when I did my thesis research, I wanted to do it in a practical sense and do a training study. So my training study was essentially looking at two different groups of cyclists and um, differences in how they might prepare the final days leading up to a race. In my case, it was a performance test um, that we did in the laboratory. So, um, Another example of, you know, being able to kind of combine principles of exercise science and then laboratory-based measures of performance with kind of the real-world application of how you might, um, you know, how you might apply that for athletes. So it was a really, really fun um, experience for me and one that was, uh, was really important in, I think, kind of progressing my, not just my knowledge base, but I would say my perspective on, on coaching athletes. Amazing. I love that. Uh, so that leads us into the data-driven athlete, I think, right? So you, you, you found a super, you know, passionate uh, sport like cycling and, and your analytical uh, ex exploration at a molecular level, uh, physiology level, an applying scientific level, um, you know, those all those interests led you to further your your um, academic, you know, learning, um, and now you get to apply it with um, your clients and your customers. So, can you um, sort of unpack, you know, the the data driven athlete uh, platform and how you guys interact with your customers and you know your approach and so forth. Yeah, for sure. So when I was um, when I was starting my, my my coaching company and kind of had this idea that um, you know that I really I'd say from the ground level it was like I have to make cycling a bigger part of my life, and that was kind of the origin of my kind of I would say um, transition from teaching um, to to coaching, and it was a natural transition because coaching is teaching. You know, my background has always been in education, and coaching is just simply an extension of that with primarily adults, um, you know, sometimes younger, um, some, some younger kids, but primary, you know, primarily adults. So, um, and data has been the other side of that, that even in high school, you know, I, I bought my first heart rate monitor in high school and I was doing some jogging and some running and I was just kind of reading everything I could about, you know, how do you use heart rate data to 
improve your, your, your run workouts? Like, you know, how do you maybe pace yourself differently or how do you look at different very you know, different uh, metrics like you know, recovery heart rate? So after you do, you know, maybe like a really intense sprint interval at the end of a, of a workout, you know, how do you keep track of how quickly your heart rate comes down to resting levels and what, what might that tell you about improved fitness? Um, so that, that had always been a, an interest of mine, um, even when I was in high school and this ability to measure the human body and, you know, during exercise was fascinating. So much respect so in high school, you knew about HRV. Yeah. So in high school, I just, I, I, I had, um, I had seen these heart rate monitors and I was like, man, that's amazing. You can like record your, you know? Um, so, so yeah, the heart rate was kind of my introduction to it. And then as I got into cycling and started reading more and I was like, man, I heard about, you know, these things called power meters and like they take heart rate, you know, they make heart rate monitors. They, they, they take that, um, the, the quality and the progression of data and they take it to an, an even other level, you know, the next level. So that, that was kind of what was going on in my head. And I was like data driven athlete. I'm like, that is, that's what I want to bring to my coaching business. That so this is not about, um, we're kind of, and I don't know if you've read the book Moneyball, um, you know, that kind of explores the, you know, the different concepts and principles that impacted, you know, the Oakland A's franchise. Yes. Yeah. So a movie came out. So it's kind of that same concept of like, Hey, you know, instead of kind of trying to make these gut level um, kind of off the cuff uh, decisions, um, might there be another approach? And of course I didn't invent that approach. Great coaches have, uh, you know, have always been doing that, but that was just, that was the, uh, that was the genesis of the, of kind of, of data-driven athlete to say, um, I want to make sure that as I'm communicating with athletes and as we're tracking their progress or as we're considering different training strategies or nutritional strategies, that the core of my advice and the core of the guidance that I'm giving athletes is always based on data and research and science. Now that doesn't mean that that's the end of the discussion, right? Because the other side of that is the power of the mind and also what we don't know about exercise science and what we don't know about training. Um, so it's not to discount that there are well, and, and how humans connect and motivate each other and support each other through challenges and training, right? So it's not to kind of um, simplify training to just numbers and just science because that's, you know, it's, it's not, that, not that simple. But to say that if we're going to start at a place, if an athlete comes to me and they say, how much do you think I should eat on the bike? My response to them will always be grounded in data and science. Um, and, and that's kind of the, um, that was the, you know, the, the origin of, of the name of our coaching company and one that um, I think kind of as, as we added two additional coaches, that's been kind of a, um, I'd say a primary requirement of, uh, of, of your worldview, right? Is that your, your worldview needs to be one that's based in data and based in science. And, and then of course, rounded out and, and further, um, you know, further, I'd say supported by all the other more abstract um, you know, elements that go into coaching and go into motivating people. Absolutely. Uh, you know, and, and it's interesting, uh, the, the landscape that you painted um, to, you know, and how you kind of defined um, data-driven athlete, because, you know, first of all, I, I was just reading um, uh, your blog on the rate of uh, perceived um, exertion, right? Um, and that's, that that's kind of like, you know, how do you, and we'll, I, I want to go into deeper detail with you in, in a little bit, but, you know, kind of throwing out a question is, you know, how do you calculate or um, observe with a metric lens, um, you know, your, your intuitive feeling that you're exerting certain amount of power? Um, you know, it's, it's kind of difficult for, for science today, uh, you know, or not, maybe not for science, just as I guess for humans to know how to work out those numbers um, and athletes themselves kind of learn how to read, you know, data in front of them, like live data while they're on a bike or while they're running um, and then also respond to how they're feeling. So that's, yeah. that, that's a really interesting, um, you know, concept. And yeah, I mean, it's hard, yeah. it, it, it's hard to, you know, say, you know, in, intuition and gut feeling is, uh, um, or it's easy to say that it's abstract and because it's hard to calculate, right? If you can, and sure. if, you're, if you're coming at it from a scientific uh, perspective, you know, you, you always want to be able to define the metric and the analysis. So I get that. Yeah. Well, 
Well, and the, the interesting, I would say, progression is, is that, um, so I started Data Driven Athlete in, in 2010. So, um, and just in that span of time, so we're talking about eight years, the, um, the different way in which most endurance athletes, um, I'd say, interact uh, with data has changed just in eight years to where back then when I would have conversations with, with cyclists, I would basically be begging them to buy a power meter. And I'd be saying, <laughs> hey, you've, you've got to utilize this technology. It's not just that it makes cycling more efficient and your workouts more efficient, but it really makes it more fun and it makes it more engaging in a way that's, that's really unique. So eight years ago, I'm having those discussions. And then now I never have an athlete that comes to me that doesn't already have a power meter and that doesn't totally. have a, a pretty good vocabulary about how to use those numbers. So to get to your, to get to your comment about RPE as a coach. Now I feel like a lot of my job has shifted to where the data side of the equation is something that people are comfortable with. And what, what now is happening is that they're losing track of what it means to not be so attached to data. Right? So um, that's a different, that's a different, I'd say skill set that, that, that we're trying to teach as coaches. And that's, that's kind of where that blog post came from is to say, Hey, look, yes, data-driven athlete, we get it. Like we're all on board with that, but there's this other side of performance, like, like you mentioned, that can be very difficult to quantify, but that is very easy to, uh, to measure the impact of in many ways. So there's a new book that just came out called Endure by Alex Hutchinson. And um, it's all about the power of the mind in establishing kind of the limits of, of endurance performance. And, um, and it, it draws on, you know, some of the latest research in kind of in different fields of study and, and whatnot. But that, you know, that I'd say the condensed version of that is that we cannot ascribe, you know, we cannot ascribe the limits of human performance to strictly physiological variables. That physiology gets us to a certain point that we can understand, but then beyond that is the power of the mind to to push us in in a way that we don't entirely understand. And um, so, for that reason, whether or not you're self coached or you know just kind of interested in in in, in performance, if all you are is data driven, and if that's that's the only thing you're looking at in your workouts or the only skill that you're developing, you're missing out. That's kind of the, um, that's the bottom line is that being data driven is important in terms of, I think, you know, being objective in, in your training and the, uh, the effectiveness of your training. Uh, but it's the other side of, of the mind um, that, that you can't lose, lose sight of. Awesome. So for all our cyclists out there listening uh, and, and runners too, and just endurance athletes in general, um, I'm, I'm sure they would love to hear your approach or your philosophy surrounding nutrition. Um, you know, nutrition is, is, a, is a very strong um, and impactful component to optimizing your athletic performance. So can you give us some insight as to, you know, what your position is around that? Yeah, yeah, sure. So um, there's a, an, another great book. Some of some of your listeners may may have uh, may have read it, but it's called Diet Cults by Matt Fitzgerald. And and I don't know if he coined this term or if he got it from somebody else, but um, but this term of kind of uh, you know being being a nutrition agnostic, which basically says you know again, we I, I always want to ground my advice. If you want to talk about my approach to to sports nutrition, it's always grounded in the most current and the most recent. Um, I would say consensus amongst the best sports nutritionists in the world. So you're always going to find someone in some field of study um, that kind of serves as an outlier or that might be advocating, you know, one strategy over the other. But in general, I'm, I'm somebody who, you know, ascribes to the, um, to the principle that what science isn't just simply a study, it's the body of, of research and, and the body of, um, you know, kind of patrolling that, that area of study that contributes to, I'd say, the highest quality of knowledge. So that's kind of a long way of saying when it comes to sports nutrition, um, you know, there are ways to assess uh, the quality of information. Um, and even though it's such a young field of study, well, I'd say because it's such a young field of study, um, it's very fast moving and, 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 and rapidly changing in, in many parts. But there is still a core of, of quality information that comes from comes from science. So if someone comes to me and they say, "Hey, you know, like I said, what do you think about you know how many carbohydrates should I consume on a long run or ride?" My you know my advice to them is going to be from the most recent studies that have looked at the performance differences when people eat 
different quantities of carbohydrate during, you know, varying durations of exercise. So on our website, we have a blog post that kind of details this. And again, it's not, they're not original thoughts by me. It's a, you know, it's a, it's a condensing of what the most current research is. So overall approach is driven by data, driven by science. But then the other side of that, again, when we move over kind of more to the abstract sense is that you have to find a strategy that works for you. And that might not be a strategy that always lines up with the most current recommendations from exercise science. So someone might say, yeah, you know what? I experimented with X eating strategy and I found that I felt better than I ever had before. And in an objective sense, I've noticed that my performance has increased more than I've ever seen it. And then my approach as a coach would be to say, that sounds amazing. Like, like I want to learn more about it and let's, let's see if we can improve upon that um, and, and, and work from that. So that's the agnostic side of my, um, of my sports nutrition angle is that we start from the most, you know, we start from recommendations from science and then we apply those principles to find a strategy that works. And there are different strategies that work. Some people who are vegan athletes, um, there are many different reasons why that might be a strategy that works for them. Um, other people who maybe are paleo athletes and they feel that that's a strategy that, you know, and so we, we work with that. So there's the personal side of nutrition that is important. It's cultural. It's it's uh, for many people. It's emotional, and um, you can't just strip all of those components away and just give advice. It has to be you know advice has to be given in a in a way that that meets people at an individual level and and, and helps them. Oh, I I respect that man. I love that. I love that. Um, what about yourself? What do you do for yourself? <laughs> Um, so would you say in like a general eating strategy or like for, for in, in, in what sense? Yeah. Like what, what have you found um, in your journey, right? With trying to find a really good cycle of different nutrients, whether they're micro or mac macronutrients um, and hydration, uh, you know, what, what has been your overall like, you know, cycle of, of, um, of nutrition throughout, you know, let's say the past year, like whether yeah. there was racing or not, you know, what's, what's been your personal approach to it? You know, um, are, are yes. you, are you finding, um, you know, are, are, are you approaching food mainly to, I don't know, recover from, you know, a stressful day, um, or, or a stressful workout? Um, you know, do you use it just for fun? Uh, you know, what do you do when you go to parties and there's alcohol and, and, you know, like the, the snacks, I mean, you know, kind of take us through that, um, experience that you have. Yeah, that's, that's a good question. So for me, I would say I, simplicity is kind of my, um, is, is the order of the day for me. Um, so I have other areas of life that are that, that bring extra complexity and bring stress and so nutrition is one of those where you know simple strategies um, are, are, are ones that work best so for me you know those simple strategies are ones that are you know everyone can get behind and, and advocate for and that's um, you know eating more fruits and vegetables right so eating more fruits and vegetables um, trying to minimize processed foods um, very rarely eating out at restaurants and never having, I, I wouldn't say never, but I would say on very, very rare occasion, having any types of desserts or snackable foods at our house. So I, I guess I'd say then, then the fifth one would probably be a focus on lean protein um, at every meal throughout the day. So I'd say in a real general sense, those are kind of the uh, basic bedrock principles that, um, that my wife and I kind of follow around our house. And they're ones that... Um, I think tick all of those boxes in terms of, you know, providing for a, you know, a nutritional diet, one that um, also kind of supports an athletic lifestyle and is, is, I would say is flexible to meet the demands of, of exercise and, and training and, and competing. Um, and that also enables me to, I guess, achieve, you know, from a performance sense, the objective to have a really, to be really, really lean and, uh, and, and for my body composition to be optimal, um, you know, for riding and for cycling. So there are different ways to achieve that. You know, some people, some of my athletes, they use, you know, the, the app, my fitness pal, which helps them kind of really quantify everything that they're eating and look at that in an objective sense. I've never done that. I am, um, 
I have found success in weighing myself on a daily on a daily basis and kind of using that feedback to help to uh, kind of in real time um, adjust the different choices that I that I might make. So to your to your example in terms of you know parties or snack food or holidays, it's a perfect example of saying you know. I don't flee from those environments, um, but I recognize the impact that eating that type of food is going to have on me over a couple of days. And then when I get back home or when I get around a scale and I can kind of quantify that, then I say to myself, okay, I'm going to have to tighten the belt a little bit here. And I'm going to have to make some choices about reducing portion sizes or, um, you know, avoiding certain types of foods. So that's a strategy that works really well for me. It's really basic. Um, it's really flexible and it still enables me to enjoy food but then also, um, you know, I'd say utilize it as a, or, or view it as a fuel source, you know, to improve my performance um, and to, you know, to help fuel, you know, fuel the activities that I'm interested in. Cool, man. Um, what are you, what are you doing to kind of recharge for yourself, you know, after a um, heavy, you know, lifting work, um, you know, week or, or, or month or year, you know, like what, what are you doing to recharge? Um, I would say nothing. And the reason for that is, is that I don't know if you've had anybody else on your podcast that are parents of young kids, but I mean, that's a, that's a challenge, right? Is that, um, you don't come home from a hard workout and like turn on nice music and put your feet up, you know, it, it's just, that's an experience that, that doesn't happen. So, um, it's something that my wife and I kind of collectively are, are trying to, to work on to be able to kind of carve out those 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 pieces um, to kind of restore and recharge. So for me, even though it wouldn't, I guess, be filed under that kind of restore and recharge, that experience for me is riding my bike really early in the morning. So I try and get up. Uh, no, everyone's still sleeping in our house. And I try and get, get on the bike by, let's say, 5 o'clock or 5.30. And it's totally dark outside. And um, during that time, I listen to different podcasts and listen to music. And I would say that's the most restorative time because it's, um, you know, you had asked a question about, about meditation. And, and for me, that's the, the closest that I get to kind of a meditative type uh, or, you know, recharging type. type. Uh, but I think that's, that's an ongoing struggle probably with anyone that has young kids is that, um, you know, you finish a, a tough workout or you come home from a race and, your your parent, your parent immediately, and um, you know you, you don't you don't get to, and, and you wouldn't want to, um, you know, just check out in that in that capacity. Yeah. Do you have a lot of clients that uh, are also, you know, they're just that A type, or maybe they don't have to be A type, but they just they love endurance sports, they love cycling, and that also means having less time with your family, right? And if you have kids, and you have you know a dog, and you have uh, your wife or husband. Um, you know, that, that limits the time because you're on the saddle. So, you know, do you have people that come to advice and ask you like, you know, how do you do it all? Yes, I would say that probably defines the majority of clients in kind of the endurance sport um, coaching world is that there are people who, um, you know, have successful careers. Um, they have kids at varying stages, whether or not that's young kids like me, or they have kids that are really involved in their kids' high school sports, and they've got practices every single week, and they've got games on the weekend. And again, that's another part of the, the coaching, I would say, um, the, the, the coaching experience where you can talk all you want about being, being data-driven and using data to, to fuel performance, blah, blah, blah. But none of that matters. When you come home at the end of the day, you've been working all day, maybe you're up late because your kid was sick, and then you're faced with a challenging workout. And you have to figure out to what degree you're going to try and tackle that workout. Do you make modifications for it because, because you're so tired? So it's that real world um, flexibility about how to kind of continue this march of progress in your athletic life um, and how that combines with maybe problems you might be having in your marriage or um, great stressors at work or, you know, that's what makes coaching for me. That's what makes coaching so rewarding um, and so fun because it's not just about being data driven. It's about um, trying to collect and balance and make sense of all those other external factors that all have a, a you know have an impact on your on your cycling or, or running or whatever else. 
So in, in one of the questions that uh, you answered in, in the Fuel Talk questionnaire that we're going to be posting up with, um, with this podcast on the blog is, um, you know, provide two tips that you developed, at least two tips that you developed to help reach your athletic goals. And the third one um, that you answered was ask yourself the why train question and connect yeah. that daily to effort. Uh, that, that daily effort to long-term goals. So in your experience with, uh, with your clients um, and your friends, what has been that answer to, you know, why train? Like what's kind of, is there a common trend that you've seen or does it vary? Yeah. So I'd say for most people that I coach, or I'd say for most people um, probably in endurance sport, they train because they love to compete. So there are variations of that where a lot of people train because maybe they love the experience of like a really tough gravel grinder or grand fondo or something like that. So maybe they're not quite as keyed, keyed into competition. Um, but in many ways they still are, they, they, they might not be, you know, really enthusiastic about competing with other people, but they have personal competition goals where they want to better their time from a previous year. Um, or maybe they want to beat a friend or something like that. So I'd say the, the most common the most common answer to that why train question for endurance sport um, is because they love competing and you can't compete unless you train. It's just a, uh, and for me personally, that, that, that's how it goes. If you, if you removed competition from the equation, there's no way that I would train with the level of focus that I do. I would still exercise and I would still ride occasionally, but it's, it's competition and it's the rewards of competition um, that, that, that provide that fuel when my alarm goes off at five o'clock and I'm like, well, I could just lay in bed and read, or I'm going to get out and it's 40 degrees outside. That's, that's the only way that I can make that consistent decision to train is for my mind to be able to say, Nate, you're getting up in your training because, you know, in one month, there's this race that you're going to be doing, doing with your friends. And you know, that this racing experience is some of the coolest stuff you've ever experienced. And so you need to do it. And, and, and you know, again, that an the answer to that question is different for some people. For some people, it might be weight loss. It might be, you know, they're, they're going to be involved in, in a wedding and they want to lose a certain amount of weight or whatever. But whatever it is, the answer to the question matters much less than having a list of answers that you can draw upon when the motivation is waning. Okay. Okay. So it's more like you want to um, give them <laughs> uh, those, those, uh, those nuggets of motivation and intrinsic motivators that they can use when they start hitting the wall or they're bonking or, you know, they're just like not staying to the, I guess, framework, you know, that they're, that they're training um, is, is, is asking for. Is that sort of, yeah. Yes. Okay. So we have um, a presentation and, and another another blog post on our on our website that talks about this process. But that's essentially what what that process is. Is that it's laying out and saying why is it that I want to train? And again, you like it's not. Um, it's okay to not train, right? It's just as it's just as okay to say, hey, you know what? I'm not really interested in training. I just kind of want to exercise for the joy of exercising. And if I feel like getting out there, then I'm going to get out there. If I don't feel like it, then I'm not going to. That's just as well to do that. But if you're going to make that transition from simply exercising to training, there has to be a more concrete, um, you know, more concrete and, and measurable force that's pulling you and motivating you because it just simply isn't sustainable to say, hey, I'm going to go do a bunch of hard rides or I'm, I'm going to go try out this new training plan. Um, in my experience, I have never worked with an athlete ever who sustains long-term progress that doesn't have some sort of competitive goal or doesn't have some sort of benchmark that they are, that they're progressing to. It's just impossible to, um, to not bag a workout and then bag a couple of weeks of, you know, a couple weeks of workouts. Uh, it's just, it's, it's, it's a, it's a necessity to have something bigger than yourself that, that you're kind of striving for to, to fuel those, those consistent workouts. Very cool. So you, you also have some sort of uh, like positive psychology uh, performance in there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and again, right, we keep going back to this is that, um, you know, you've got data driven athlete and you've got the components of that. But then the other side of it is, is that when you're working with an athlete, um, you know, as a coach, the other side of it is, 
We're not machines. We're not robotic people. Nobody gets a workout and just says, okay, I'm going to do that workout and then does it. They, they come into that workout and they say, ah, I don't really feel like it. Or, ah, you know, I've got all this additional stress that's impacting my, my level of motivation. And so, you know, coaching is about moving past those barriers and, and helping people, you know, supporting them in that larger, I would say, trend towards excellence, um, as opposed to getting hung up on, you know, the, 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 the singular data points of failed or, or successful workouts, you know. Um, so it's about, you know, moving past those, um, those setbacks or frustrations or even successes um, at times and, and looking further, further ahead towards, um, you know, towards the reason why they're, you know, making this choice, uh, you know, anyways. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, yeah, and, you know, going, going back to, to data as well. Um, you know, if you could only, if you could choose only three data points that will help you analyze um, and, and optimize the human sport performance experience, what would it be? What would those three be? Yeah. So for me, um, this comes specifically through the lens of cycling. So, you know, each sport kind of has, I would say, different primary metrics by which they might measure their sport. So, you know, in running that, you know, that's going to be pace, uh, it might be pace and, and swimming, you know, same, same type of thing, pace and, and cycling. Obviously the, the gold standard metric that we have to measure um, performance is power. So that first metric is going to be power for me. Um, you know, the second one um, would be RPE, like we discussed earlier, or rate of perceived exertion. So that's a, um, you know, a subjective measurement of how you feel. So that might be, you know, you might utilize that in a more objective sense. You might utilize that by saying, hey, this workout overall, what did this workout feel like on a scale of one to 10? Did it feel really, really hard or did it feel really, really easy to you? Um, so you can use RPE in that context. You can also use it to kind of dose intensity in a workout. Um, or you could use it, you know, even kind of zoning out a little bit for maybe an entire week. You might say, what did this week feel like to me or whatever? So it would be, you know, power would be first, um, RPE or rated perceived exertion would be second. And then the third would be heart rate. So heart rate is kind of the old school one that, um, you know, is kind of the standby. And in many cases, people have kind of pushed that, pushed that to the side. Um, but heart rate is really important because it's, you know, it's not a measurement of our performance, but it's a measurement of how our body is responding to our effort. And so you know, it can tell us a lot of interesting things when we use it in combination with power. So it can tell us maybe our level of hydration, or it might be able to tell us how our body is responding um, to different environmental stressors like heat or cold, or how our body is responding to, um, you know, being caffeinated or being stressed out or so it can still give us a lot of really interesting feedback. So those, those three metrics would be the ones that um, are, are the ones that I use most, uh, you know, most reliably in cycling specifically. Cool. Do you have any uh, recovery hacks out there that you want to share? Um, I don't, you know, heart rate variability and, you know, that's a, that's a new, um, you know, kind of a new angle that a lot of people invest in. Um, so I would say in like a metric sense, um, this is another, I would say a discipline, I think when it comes to being data driven is you have to say, how much data am I going to engage in? Am I going to wear a sleep monitor and try and you know measure how much sleep I have? Am I going to try and take my heart rate as soon as I get up in the morning to kind of try and maybe learn a little bit about my heart rate variability? Um, so that's been one of those metrics that I haven't um, I haven't utilized with with, with clients. But um, you know I would say the most basic advice for for recovery would be a focus on sleep and nutrition, right? I mean that that's anybody that's um, anybody that's coaching anybody. Um, I think those are probably going to be their, their two most, uh, two most basic ones is, is, and obviously those are, those are big topics that you could, you know, have a whole discussion on, but, um, but paying more attention to your sleep and to your nutrition, I think are, are probably the two keys to, to recovery. Absolutely. What is a uh, data-driven athlete doing like, uh, or what, what do you guys have in, the, in your horizon? Um, any new things happening this uh, 2018? Yeah. So, so for me, you know, I started data driven athlete by myself and then, um, and then we brought on two other coaches, uh, one, one coach, Matt Chatleong, who's an athlete that I coached for probably about five years. So he was the first coach, um, that, that came on with us and, uh, awesome guy. He's, he's also studying exercise science at a graduate level right now. Um, and then we have another coach, uh, Sam Bassetti, who joined us about, about a year ago. He also has a background in exercise science and he's, uh, racing, racing professionally. And, um, 
another awesome asset to our team. So for me, my role has changed in some sense, or I guess it's expanded in many senses in terms of, you know, it started out with me kind of defining what data-driven athlete was uh, for myself and for my athletes to now saying, what does it look like as we begin to scale it? What does it look like in terms of uh, a set of best practices? So when an athlete comes to us, um, you know, if Pablo comes to us and says, I want to become a better climber what what is the system what is the curriculum that we um, that we utilize to help you achieve that objective so in 2018 I'd say the biggest project I've been working on probably over the last six months is to say it's really simple to have all these good ideas in your head and to kind of read a bunch and to be exposed to a lot of great ideas and have a bunch of cool ideas in your head but when it comes to sharing kind of a system with a client, and when it comes to making sure that you're not missing details along the way, um, the best way to do that is to have a uh, you know to have a system and to have a curriculum to say when an athlete comes to us and they have this is their objective, these are the different things that we focus on, and not only this is not not only not only are these the steps that we focus on, but here is our rationale for why we focus on them. So here are different research articles that give us confidence that this method. Is, is the best. Or here are different uh, you know, blog posts that we've invested a lot of time and energy on our website to talk about these topics that we want to share with the client to help give them confidence that we're on the right path. Because it's not just about designing a training plan for a client. The other side of that is, is that they really have to have buy-in in that training plan. If they don't buy into your training plan, it really doesn't matter how effective or how data-driven it is. Um, it's, it's, it's not real meaningful if a client doesn't buy into it. So, the biggest project that, that we kind of have, have coming up in 2018 is, is uh, further kind of developing that curriculum collectively between us coaches and saying, hey, what can we all learn from each other um, to then apply to each of our athletes and then to go out and apply in a flexible way to meet the needs of, of you know, individual athletes. So bigger picture stuff, um, really looking to improve the quality of our coaching and to be able to apply it more consistently across, across everyone on our team. I, uh, I can't wait. I'm, I'm thrilled to, to stay on tap and, and definitely loop back with you very soon. Um, for, you know, if, if we took back, you know, into, into your journey as, as, as an academic, continue, continuously being an academic um, and, and, and practitioner, you know, you're actually putting these things and, and applying them and practicing them. Um, you know, and now, you know, I guess you could call yourself an entrepreneur if you're leading a ship with a team and expanding and, and, you know, doing everything you can for growth. Um, looking back at this story and this journey, uh, what have been some of the most, you know, unexpected uh, events and, and what, what has, what have those unexpected events taught you? Yeah. Well, kind of going back to the, the origin statement. So what kind of the subtext of that origin statement was, um, in 2013, I had a liver transplant. So I, I received a liver transplant um, from one of my from one of my former students, um, who I was his basketball coach. And um, so I underwent a procedure called a live donor liver transplant, where they resect wow. um, resect a portion of, of a living a living donor and then implant that into me. So incredible. Um, yeah. So that so that has been um, <laughs> as you might imagine, that happened during the transition of. Um, it was just a couple months. It was a month after I completed my graduate thesis and completed my graduate degree. And, um, and that has been an evolving, I would say, force and influence in my life kind of post-transplant and then um, post-data-driven athlete. Um, so I, that wasn't unexpected. Um, that was something that I had, you know, that I knew was coming on the horizon. But I would say from a practical sense, um, the perspective that that gives someone and anybody that's been through, you know, a big, a big medical crisis or, or, you know, maybe supported a family member, but the perspective that that gives you on what sport means in, in, in many senses is that um, I think it's very easy to, to look at sport kind of in this reductionist perspective of like, ah, oh, it's just people going out and, you know, you just ride your bike a bunch and whatever. Um, but sport, I think, what has always drawn me to sport and what I've 
learned more about later in life is that sport can kind of be this parallel expression of who you want to be, right? And and I think anyone that's gone through a medical crisis, like all you want to do is be healthy. You know, I mean, you'll, you'll, you'll take, you know, you don't need to win a race. You'll take just being able to watch a race, right? right? And, and your world condenses in, into these really simple ways. And and sport kind of gives you this language to express that and to kind of move through the the frustration of maybe having setbacks in your training and um, but at the same time still giving you this this goalpost to still push and to still strive for excellence. So I would say that that's probably the the biggest thing that I've learned through this is that um, cycling is amazing, sport is amazing. I love coaching and I love teaching, but it can be a venue for this self exploration and uh, this discovery of new things about yourself that I don't think any other vein of life affords you. You know, I, I think sport um, and in my, in my case, cycling is, is really unique in allowing you to kind of touch on these themes of life and to unearth these things about yourself um, that, that are totally unique. So that to me, that would be the most, um, again, that would be the most unexpected discovery of, of what, um, of what sport brings to the table. You know, cool. what it can bring to the table. Yeah, man. You're uh, an astronaut of your own universe, of your inner inner self. And that's amazing. Yeah. You know, that's that's where that's where people that's where people should live, man. That, you know, they, they should <laughs> whoever that's why I love meeting people like you, man. I you know, whoever is really out there, um, you know, pushing their their limits, right? And and yeah. getting deeper and deeper and deeper, deeper into yeah. self. Um, you know, however we can really light up our inner guru lab, um, you know, whether it's with science or with intuition or with meditation, with breathing, with training, whatever it takes, you know, if you can kind of find that spot, um, and then live in that ecosystem and try to enhance that so that you are a better person and that you, then that also, you know, overflows to all the other relationships that you have whether they're business-based or love-based or friendship-based, whatever it might be, um, you know, it, it, it helps out everyone else, right? I mean, it just becomes a, an, an exponential growth. Yeah. And in and, and a personal level, and like what, what you described, that's all I want. That's, that's all I want to be. Like all I want to be is I want to be striving for greatness in whatever capacity I can do that. And I want my children to see me striving for that greatness. And as a coach, of course, that's the amazing thing is that I get to be a part of that process. At, at my best, I get to be a part of that process. Outside of someone saying, I want to win this race, you know, I get to be a part of that process and somebody striving to learn something different about themselves. And that's, um, you know, that's what makes the work so exciting and, and, and so meaningful. Well, you know, Nate, thank you so much for being on the Fuel Talk podcast. Uh, before we, we, we wrap this up, um, you know, is, is there anyone, um, you know, out there that you would like to send out some positive vibes, some thanks, you know, for coming along with you on this journey? Um, now's the time, you know, to throw that out there if you'd like. Yeah, well, you know, my, my, you know, the number one thing would be is it's, I think it's easy for you know, I, I would hesitate a little bit to call myself an entrepreneur, maybe because I, th I think of those people and more having achieved some somehow a greater level of success maybe than I have. But um, I think it's easy to talk about these things and to say, you know, I was really motivated and I was driven to do this. But, you know, for me personally, none of that happens without my wife. None of it. I mean, from a um, from, from a financial stability perspective of, you know, her job giving us kind of the foundation for me to be able to pursue some of that to you know, being married to somebody who, you know, can be difficult and who really driven and hyper-focused at times, um, you know, so it's, again, it's easy to kind of talk about what, you know, what you're excited about in terms of what you've built. Um, but, you know, it's, uh, it's impossible not to acknowledge that, you know, in, in my, in my case, at least, none of that is, is possible, uh, you know, without, without my wife. I love it, man. I love it. And if people want to reach out to you, um, where can they find you in the digital world? Yes. Yeah, so our, our uh, my, my website is data driven athlete.com. You could uh, shoot me an email at Nate at data driven athlete. And then all the different social, social media channels, um, Google data driven athlete, you know, any, any of that, any of that works. And yeah, I'd love to love to chat. 
Perfect, man. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks, Papa. Much love to everyone for tuning into this week's episode of Devotion Freeze. I'm extremely happy to meet Nate because we share common philosophy, like I said in the very beginning, about the importance of capturing a variety of data and finding the story inside and around the data. And the most special part of this all is how you relate that to the people who are outputting right, this data. So too many times, we only focus on the numbers we see at an indoor cycling class, for example, or at an outdoor training session. And we forget to tune in to our own body machine and feel our own emotional and our own mental data. Nate has a big year coming up with his team at Data Driven Athlete, and I'm really, really, really looking forward to a possible collaboration with them. So stay tuned because Nate is an astronaut of his own life in search of data that expands one's life capacity. And I'm totally down for supporting that mission. For you guys, let me know. Hit me up. Reach out to Nate. Let him know what's going on. So anyways, guys, thanks again for tuning in. Get at me on Instagram and Snapchat at Pablo I. Quiroga. Stay tuned to our digital space at fieldtalk.co and explore some extra fuel from all of our podcast show. And guys, don't forget, crush your ego, devote your life to your inner passions, light up your inner guru lab, and get free. Peace! Sit comfortably or lie down. Close your eyes and visualize your body. Breathe comfortably. And on your next inhale, breathe into your heart. Feel the rhythm of your heart as you breathe out. You may breathe out through your nose or mouth, whatever feels good to you. And now visualize the light of the sun. Feel the heat as it radiates on your body. And on your next inhale, breathe in the light of the sun into your jaw and let the warmth radiate through any tension you may be holding there. Just let it go. And as you breathe in again, this time into your hips, allow your breath to bring in the golden light of the sun. And as you breathe out, allow this light to radiate through every tissue releasing tensions, repairing, rejuvenating. And now breathe in again, and this time send your breath to your knees and let the sunlight radiate on and through your wonderful knees. Let the golden light be there as you breathe out and release any tensions, any worries, any fears. Let them off your knees. Now breathe into your feet. Bring the golden light as you breathe into your wonderful feet. Let it radiate through every cell as you breathe out the golden sunlight through every cell in your feet. And now visualize yourself surrounded by a halo of golden light. You'll feel your body growing warm 
And if you have tension, let the golden light go there as you breathe naturally, comfortably, safely. And continue to breathe and allow the golden light of the sun to naturally and gracefully nourish your limbs, your mind. Send the golden light of the sun to any area that needs repairing. Breathe into that area of the golden light of the sun. Breathe out and allow this light to nourish your body. And continue to breathe as you come back to your heartbeat. Breathe easefully as you slowly wiggle your toes and gently open your eyes.